Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Women Arsecast April Mailbag Edition uh, with me, your presenter Tim Stillman, as well as, as ever, uh, my co-presenters, Pippa Monique. Pippa, how are you doing? I'm all good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. Maybe um, maybe I would have been better had Sunday gone differently <laughs> against Chelsea. Literally. If the whole weekend went better, actually. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I was at Southampton on Saturday as well. So yeah. kind of a weekend to forget on an on an Arsenal overall front. Yeah. Um, but we won't talk about the men's team. So we'll at least spare ourselves <laughs> that, that kind of depression yeah. at the moment and focus on the women's team. And joining us as well, again, as ever, is Alex Ibaceta. Alex, how are you doing? Yeah, better now that I've forgotten about Sunday. Um, but now I have to I have to open up the wounds again yeah yeah indeed in fact why don't we before we get into the listener questions and we've had again we've had loads um I feel like we get we get more when we lose um but that's such is the nature there's just more to talk about when you don't win um but if I go to you first actually Alex just with not a listener question but I guess an overall question about Sunday's game against Chelsea you watched it with um with Jesse, who's been on this show before, who's a Chelsea fan. What what did you make of it overall? Uh, I think we came to the conclusion that both teams played very poorly. Um, what I mean, when you look at the past games in the WSL this season, when you look at that 3-2 win that we had and then that 0-0 draw, what Sunday was, was basically nothing compared to that. If you look at the two goals that Chelsea scored, it was mainly Arsenal it wasn't you can't even call it errors it was just Arsenal just turning off the switch for a second and Chelsea being able to capitalize but overall I thought it was I I won't say a dull game because it was still quite exciting you know Chelsea had possession at one point Arsenal had possession at one point but overall you know if you look at the chances on goal there weren't that many exciting chances to be kind of on your feet for 90 minutes um and I thought, yeah, it was, I mean, yeah, it's it's not the greatest match overall, but at least both teams played poorly. So you can you can take that as a positive somewhat. But yeah, Chelsea just, Chelsea are the better team at the moment. And there's sadly no denying that, I think. Um, and yeah, you know, fatigue and, and maybe even substitutions came into it. But it's just, yeah, I, I know, Tim, you, you said it about muscle memory being Chelsea's biggest advantage here. 
Yeah, yeah. Emma said in her post-match press conference that, you know, her squad's been together a long time. Not a lot of players have left in recent years. They haven't had to bring lots of players in. And I think off the back of an international break, you could just see that. And, and you know, both teams had loads of players at the Olympics last summer. And it's been a long old season, the first ever season where we've had six Champions League group games as well. And I think it it, I think you're right. I think it showed in both teams, but Chelsea, they've just been together um, so long. And I, I think that kind of, that helped them get over the line in this game. And that, that's the thing about Chelsea. They generally find a way to get over the line. Um, Pippa, if I just come to you with a question um, about the game, there was there was some confusion initially over who, well, not in the team, but in the support over who would play at right back. Mm-hmm. And it was Katie McCabe in the end. What did you make of that decision? The thing is with Katie McCabe, we know that literally she can play anywhere. For the first season or so, we didn't actually know what her actual position was. But you just, you kind of think, what is the structure? And that that is the key difference between Arsenal and Chelsea. With Chelsea starting eleven, you know who's going to play and where they're going to play. But in previous seasons under Joe, we complained about, you know, having that lack of depth in, in the squad. But we have a bigger squad now. And it's strange to me that we're still not utilising players in the same positions week in week. It's imagine like, I know we're not talking about the men here, but imagine we're playing Martinelli left wing for three weeks and then, oh, let's just stick him right back for this game against Chelsea in the FA Cup. It's strange to me. Very Mm. strange. Yeah, I I think, um, again, off the back of an international break where they've only had a couple of training sessions, I, I did find it a strange decision to put some context around it. I asked Jonas about it afterwards and he gave two reasons. One, he felt that Katie's aggression as a defender would be really useful up against Guro Wrighton, who's in really good form. That that part of the explanation I didn't really get because I think Noel Maritz is a really good one-on-one defender and he did just buy a right back in January in Laura Weinreuter and it does kind of make you think, if you don't trust her to do that job, why did you bring her in? The, the second part of the explanation I got a bit more, he said he wants, because of the way Guru Wright and presses, he felt it'd be useful to have a left footer to kind of go infield and away from her pressure. Uh, and I, I got that a little bit more, but we have a question actually about Noel Maritz a bit later in the pod. So I don't want to drag over that too much, but I was, if, sorry. I was just going to say that, well, clearly that experiment failed because Guru Wright and, Scored a nice <laughs> So experiment failed. Yeah, and to be fair, Jonas said afterwards, I don't think it worked. Um, the the other thing I asked him about because in the warm up they were warming up with Lotta at right back and Steph Catley at centre back, and I asked him about that, and he said it it was a bit of a ruse to try and confuse Chelsea. Um, he said it was something. Basically, he said that against Leicester, uh, the the previous game, Leicester usually play with a back three but he saw that they were warming up with a back four. And so before the game started, he was able to slightly adjust and Arsenal scored in the first minute. And he said it gave him the idea to maybe try and confuse Chelsea in the warm-up. And he said he did think that that bit kind of worked and contributed to Chelsea's slow start, which I can accept. But yeah, I think it was it was just a little bit too much for this game, this opponent with this kind of lack of preparation time. But Pippa, um, we've had, as, as you'd maybe expect, we've had quite a lot of really good, I, I guess I'd say existential questions. And I really like this one from um, Clive Bunting, who is at Clive Bunting on Twitter. If Arsenal finish the season in second and Manchester City finish third, 
and win the FA Cup, which team will feel the happier with their season? And I should put a coder on this question and say, of course, Man City have also won the Conti Cup this season. So if City win both domestic cups and finish third, but Arsenal finish second, who do you think will be happier? I think that's quite an easy question. I think Man City will be the easiest, uh, the happier side. Um, I think Arsenal fans pride themselves on being the most successful club in in English women's history. Um, And we pride ourselves from that, from the amount of cups we've won in different competitions. So the fact that, you know, if we do finish second, we don't win anything this season, even though we qualify for Champions League again, it's just... It's not. A, it's a. I can't say it's not a successful season because qualifying for Champions League is always a, a, some form of success. But winning nothing um, and being second place it, it is what it is. Second place, you win nothing, and it's not that great, is it? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's. Um, I mean, I guess with the Euros and City go wouldn't have to go into another qualifying situation. It would make their summer a bit like ours next summer. But yeah, I, I don't think you can argue about a team that wins two trophies um, and qualifying for the Champions League. I, I think I've seen progress from Arsenal this season, but, you know, I, we're a big club and I don't think we should talk about another trophyless season in anything other than disappointment. I think the standards should be high for Arsenal um, and I'd worry if those dropped. Alex? Um, sorry. Oh, yeah, sorry. I think yeah. I'm call me self-entitled, but I, I feel like we should at least win one trophy in a season. I know that's probably because of the previous seasons that we've had and the, the quality of players that we have, but I feel it's such um, an unsuccessful season if we don't come away with at least like a domestic trophy or a league cup. So, yeah, it's, I'm not positive on this one. Yeah, ultimately, both domestic cup finals will be Chelsea v Man City. Um, and that, that stings a little bit. Um, Alex, I'm going to throw this one over to you because I gather it's probably one you spoke about um, with Jesse at the game. But Jesse Parker Humphreys at Jesse JPH. Why do you think Jonas is so reluctant to push Viv back into a nine position during games? It seems like an obvious tactical shift to make when Arsenal need to score, but he never want, seems to want to do it. So this is twice this has happened. Wolfsburg at home at the Emirates, he put Frieda Marnham on and played her as a nine to keep Viv in the 10 and against Chelsea he put he he took Blackstinius off but he moved Beth Mead into the 9 and kept Viv in the 10 why do you think he's reluctant to do that I don't have the answer as to why Jonas is, <laughs> doesn't want to do it it really irked me especially if we're talking about Chelsea having the muscle memory if we're looking at that muscle memory if you're looking at the you know the kind of things that players are used to. Viv is like, she's played as a nine until the last few months. So put Viv as a nine to instill that muscle memory. You have a player like Jordan Nobbs on your bench who knows how to play against Chelsea, who knows how to play for Arsenal. And that like the solution was to keep Viv in the midfield, which is obviously not muscle memory. And then instill, and I thought taking off Leo Valti was was a very very bad decision. Um, I thought Leo Valti was was kind of anchoring that defensive stability quite a lot. Um, she's just as important to defensive stability as Leah Williamson, and I thought her distribution was actually really well. She was kind of passing the Chelsea press quite well. Um, with her snake hips and everything. <laughs> um, but I thought yeah, because if you're gonna take off. Leo Valti to put Freedom Manum on. 
fine. But then you have Kim Little and Viv Miedema as the other two midfielders. And if, at the beginning of the season, if we would have thought to have Freedom Adam, Kim Little, and Viv Miedema as your middle three, like what what does that bring to the entire team? I mean, individually, yes, great players. But I thought leaving Viv in the middle was ultimately a disadvantage towards the end of the match because mm. you're denying someone more natural in that position. And I thought Blackstenius didn't have a great game, so I would have put Viv up there a bit sooner. Um, and then putting Beth up there, again, you know, muscle memory, when was the last time that we saw Beth play as a nine? Um, and it's just, it's little things that, yeah, it's it's his inability to kind of put Viv back into the position where she is, I'm not saying it's her best position, but at Arsenal, it's the position that she's grown to be more comfortable in, just naturally. Um, and it really did piss me off when he did not do that on Sunday. Yeah, it's it's. I, I find this a bit of a strange one as well. I asked him about it after the Wolfsburg game when Frieda played up front and he, his explanation then was he felt that Viv was picking up good spaces and he didn't want to take her out of them. I'm not sure that that was the case against Chelsea so much. And I, I mean, I've had like a bit of a theory for a while, even before he signed Steena, that he doesn't really like having Viv up front because because she wanders away um, so much. And I just don't think he wants that in his striker. Um, And actually, if you look at Viv was substituted, I think in about 70% of the games she played in the first half of the season, in the second half of the season, she'd only been substituted like three times. And all of those times nearly were in the 86 minute or later. So he prefers what she's doing in the number 10 role, I think compared to the number nine role. And I do just think he likes her there. And at the same time, he clearly doesn't really trust Jordan Nobbs or Manor to play that number 10 role, which again, I kind of struggle to understand a little bit. Um, I, I, I found that a little bit of a weird one as well, because the thing is when Beth played up front, she comes, she's not a natural nine anymore. So she comes away from that space as well. So I think you might as well have Viv doing that. And particularly because he brought Nikita Paris on, like let Nikita Paris attack that space in behind. So yeah, I, I think the answer to this ultimately is there's quite a few players in that attacking area. He either doesn't know how to, use, well, not so much he doesn't know how to utilize, but I think that he just doesn't really fancy for one reason or another. Um, and yeah, it, it was a little bit of a soup at the end, I think. Um, Pippa, I'm going to direct... Oh, sorry, no, actually, Alex, I'm going to stay with you for a minute before I come back to Pippa. Uh, and this is from A, at Ariel AWFC on Twitter. I've noticed all season that we've struggled a lot with challenges and winning duels. Part of me wonders if that's due to us focusing so much on the press and speed and not enough on physicality. Is there a way we can build both at the same time, or is this trade-off inevitable? That's really interesting. Um, I, I'm i going to have to go with my cliche reference and say Barcelona. Um, if you look at literally just the physique of players and the way they've grown, you can have the physicality of the match without sacrificing the rest of your football. So I, think, I do think it is possible um, to have both, whether it's the Arsenal style play, whether I, I don't think that's entirely Jonas's style play when it comes to the physicality of it. Um, but it's, 
it is really frustrating when you when you have a team that's really good football wise but isn't capable of winning certain duels and I think that's the big reason why we were also happy when Rafaele came in um if you have I mean Leah Williamson is obviously you know a 1v1 duel Leah Williamson is getting a lot of it unless she's going up against someone like Millie Bright for example um but then you have a player like Rafaela come in who's the whole package she's technical she's physical and then We've talked about it plenty of times, you know, the way Rafaela compares to other center backs, for example, is is just not the same. Um, and you can see that for the rest of the team. I think I do agree that Arsenal are perhaps a level lower in physicality when compared to Chelsea. When you compare Arsenal to the rest of the league, it's a bit better. But even if you look at that match, um, Arsenal-Wolfsburg, you know, Kim Little had players on her back like never before and, and she wasn't able to to keep up, um, which isn't, you don't say that quite a lot. So I do think Arsenal do struggle with, with winning those duels and, and the physicality of things. But I do think it's possible to get that aspect of the game without sacrificing anything else of their football. But it's just a matter of, I think it's just a matter of the, the way the coach wants to play and whether that's a thing Jonas wants to still, I, I'm not too sure. Yeah, and, and I mean, you look at Chelsea in particular, like I don't look at a central midfield of Sophie Ingle and Xi and think, my God, they're massive or they're really, really physical. Or you look at a player like Jess Carter, who's brilliant one-on-one defender and she's tiny, <laughs> quite frankly. So I, I think that, some of the signings we'll probably see in the summer. I think we'll see Arsenal go up in size and physicality. I don't think it's a coincidence that the two players he bought for the starting eleven in January were Hafaeli and Stina, who are much bigger physical players. Friedel wasn't his signing, but I think it, it might as well have been, um, quite frankly. So it's it's I do think that perhaps we'll see like a bigger midfielder. Um, come in and the fact that I think maybe that's behind him not using Jordan and Manor um, maybe he wants a more physical um, number 10 so I, I tend to think that this Arsenal squad will look a bit bigger um, and I don't mean in like in, in like bigger in physical size um, in the next year or so um, and another one Pippa I'm going to throw to you which I think is another really interesting question from Alistair Wood at Alleyboy82 do the off-field benefits, raised club profile, dressing room influence, etc., justify the Tobin Heath signing given the minimal impact she's had on the pitch? If not, should her signing be considered a flop? Wow, am I stupid or did I, or did I just not understand the question? So essentially, does everything that Tobin brings off the pitch justify oh. her signing this year? Uh, given that she probably hasn't had the impact on the pitch that we would have liked. Oh, I get you. I mean, it's always um, it's always going to be difficult signing a big name player from a completely different league um, and different level of competition to come over to WSL at the age that she's at as well. You, it, when she first signed, I'm not sure what Arsenal fans expected. It was we saw her at Manchester United, of course, um, and even though she did pretty well there, we, it wasn't something to write home about so I wasn't sure I didn't get the consensus consensus of whether Arsenal fans were excited because of who she was or, or excited because what she could bring and it felt like it was more excited about who she was the name and I feel like it still continued to be that even though she scored some important goals like the equal um, the equalizer against Spurs and things like that it it hasn't 
been home running. It hasn't it hasn't had the effect that I think some Arsenal fans expected, um, which is a shame, really. But it's still also nice to have that opportunity to have a World Cup winner at your club. Because when Alex Morgan went to Spurs, I think there was loads of question marks like how how and why why was that even a thing. Um, but the fact that we had to, we've had Tobin Heath now, I, I still think it's a good signing. But it's very hard to adjust under a new manager in a new team. Um, and hopefully if she does extend, which I don't see happening, it could come better next season. Yeah, I, I think it, obviously it's really difficult to answer like the off-pitch aspect because, we, you know, we're not in training. Um, and that would probably be a question for the players and, and, and a private one for the players because I don't think any of them would come out and say, no, it's, it's been rubbish. But So it, it's difficult to gauge her off-pitch impact. I mean, commercially... Yeah, like success, tick. Um, again, I, I asked Jonas a little bit about this after the Wolfsburg game that she started and came off at half time. Tobin hasn't completed 90 minutes mm. this season and I, I don't think she will. I think we've kind of settled on her being a bit of a super sub and I think she can have value in that respect. I Personally, I wouldn't go as far to call her a flop because yeah. I think that that equaliser at Man City on its own... It was pretty valuable, and I'm oh, yeah. sure it was Man City. That's it. It was not Spurs. Yeah, yeah, and and you know there there are some big games left, and there's still a chance to make a bit of a contribution. I I don't think it's gone how people expected it to though. And when I asked Jonas about it, you know, he kind of said, "Look, this wasn't the plan. Um, I don't think the plan was ever for her to play every minute of every game or start every game. But I still mm-hmm. think they wanted more minutes out of her than this. So I, I'd say." I'd say personally hasn't gone um, hasn't gone as planned, and I'd be surprised if she was here next year. To be honest, I I think she's on a one plus one, so I think there is an option to extend. I'm not sure whether they'll take it or whether they'll just think, look, we 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 need someone who can at least start games. Um, I will say though, even though if I focus on Tobin, it's very true. It hasn't been the season that fans would have expected or the club would have expected, but it's not just her. I feel like it's been underwhelming yeah. for quite a few players. So. It is kind of unfair to focus on Tobin whether she's been, quote-unquote, a flop because there have been other players, which it sounds harsh to say, haven't hit the ground running like we expected them to. And I think it's just down to the the team performances that we've seen and it doesn't reflect well on individuals as well. Yeah, sure. Like Iwabuchi, Nikita Paris also came in last summer. We definitely haven't seen the best of those players yet. So, yeah, there's certainly that part to it. Um, Alex, I'm going to throw this one over to you around, um, I guess, the growing the game and the coverage point. And this is from Sai at uh, Pefoyalt7. Um, I've probably pronounced that horribly, but was there a level of naivety in welcoming vast TV coverage at the expense of matchgoers? Gap filling around men's games, the time slots of early late Sundays aren't going to change. If the aim is to attract people to games... Why is the scheduling preventing people from accessing them? So this is, you know, Sky doing like 6.45 p.m. Sunday kickoffs or sometimes 11 a.m. Sunday kickoffs uh, or or Saturday morning kickoffs, um, which, you know, frankly, aren't great for fans. Um, What do you make of this question, Alex? It's such a hard question to answer. Um, It's... Because you get you have both sides of it, and I think everything, everything big that's coming to women's football has had these pros and cons, 
And it's one of those like ethical questions that you get in school. Like, do the pros just overtake the cons? And that's just the way you have to kind of deal with it, I guess. Um, so you have, yeah, I mean, the kickoffs aren't ideal. Um, but it's, I, yeah, it's a really hard one because you want the whole reason of these broadcast deals. And the next step in women's football, I think, is all about visibility. And not just any visibility, but it's the visibility that normalizes women's football, if that makes sense. Mm. So something like Sky Sports to have, you know, pre-match analysis, you know, halftime talks, post-match analysis, you do the tactical analysis. You're not talking about what degree the players studied in school as as we've we've all, you know, heard these things before. It's it's this kind of content that is normalizing women playing football in the same bracket as men playing football. So these kinds of deals are so important to the next step in women's football, which you you look at that and then you look at the cons of the really crappy kickoffs. If, you know, women's football grounds are hard to get to already and you add a really shitty kickoff time, it's going to make it 10 times worse to get there. But it's 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 so hard because the fans that have already gone to these matches will continue to go under this shitty circumstances, if that makes sense. And it is really, it's really shit to say because it is really annoying to get there and it's really annoying to, you know, want to support your team in the worst possible circumstances. But it's, I think, the pros of all these deals overcome the cons. Um, and it's kind of like, it is the first year of everything. So hopefully, you know, it gets to the point where there is a decent balancing act. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. I, I can't really be mad about the kickoff times because of what it brings watching from your sofa. I mean, if you look at, you know, there's, say, 4,000 people at Borumwood watching Arsenal, um, Chelsea. But then there's 20K people watching on TV. You know, you have these kind of balancing acts that, that you're never going to get it right at the end of the day. But I do think the broadcast deals are very important um, at this moment in time for women's football. Yeah, I, I think the simple answer to this is... There is no good answer. <laughs> These two things are incompatible because the times that are good for TV audiences are by design, no, not by design, are, are not good for, for matchgoers. And we see this in men's football as well. Like Sunday night is a great TV slot because everyone's at home. That, that's where Monday night football came from, an innovation in the UK that came, was basically nicked from NFL because what they worked out in America is nobody goes anywhere on a Monday night. Everyone's like at home and you ask anyone who owns a pub or a restaurant or a cinema or something like that, Monday night's the quietest night of the week because everyone's at home and Sunday night's quiet because everyone's at home. And so that makes it good for TV audiences, but less so for match-going fans. I, I think um, I think maybe the earlier kickoffs aren't as problematic as the six forty-five slot. That is just crap for fans, and and I get why it's it's a decent TV slot on the back of the Super Sunday game. The, the problem is 
the problem's exacerbated by the inaccessibility of grounds, right? Like we're playing Everton away on Sunday. That's a 6.45 kickoff. For Everton fans, that's difficult um, because uh, Walton Hall Park is, you know, it's it's not particularly accessible. Ditto Boreham Wood. Like even if you live in North London, a 6.45 p.m. kickoff at Boreham Wood is, is not fantastic. I th- I think I get why the TV slots are as they are. And look, Sunday was sold out and it was 12.30 um, and all right, that's a London derby. I, I do think a bit more thought should be given to the 6.45 games though, which is not to say they should do away with the slot. But, you know, make that Arsenal-Chelsea, um, for example. Make that more local games. Uh, make that the Manchester derby, may, maybe. And maybe look at how many times a certain team gets a slot. It does feel like Arsenal get the 6.45 slot a lot and it kind of feels like Chelsea and United get the earlier slots a lot. And I do think there should be a bit more elasticity over that. But ultimately, there is there is just no good answer to this question. It's as simple as that. And there isn't in men's football either. And the, the issue for Sky as well is you could just say, like, like, just to hell with it. Let's just put the WSL games on at like three o'clock on a Sunday. But if Sky are also showing men's football at that time, it's not just about like the exposure to the, the women's match. It's also about them not wanting to split their audience um, because that, that affects their bottom line as well. So basically, I, I just think these two things are incompatible um, and it's kind of as simple as that. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> sorry, we didn't like resolve that question really. Um, yeah, but- they're, they're still trying to resolve it themselves. I listened to one of the producers from the WSL coverage on Sky Sports on a panel recently, and then they said that, you know, it is it is a difficult time, and you're right, it's, it's because of um, how much more viewers they will get and how much more exposure the women's game will get. But the same in the same breath, she said, you know, it's great that we're covering the game, but it's not great when there's so many empty seats in the stands because it doesn't sell yeah. it and it doesn't promote it as well. So it's like, it's, it's give and take really, but it's so hard to figure out how they can solve the issue but as you said Alex it's like the first year and hopefully they can figure it out but it is really hard Sunday evenings are hard to get to um but it's the best time for TV but then it doesn't look great on TV when there's empty stands so it's going to be a lot to work out exactly and this Sunday evening slot by the way it has been tried before BT tried it in about 2015 2016 kind of time they tried a 7 p.m Sunday slot they ended up doing away with it so um, yeah, it's it's there is no easy answer. That, that's exactly the problem as well. From and and this is like you say, Pippa, the first year of the Sky deal. So they'll feel their way around it, and maybe you'll see, you know, maybe you won't see that evening slot go, but maybe you'll see fewer of them. Um, and maybe there'll be more of a focus on like the geography of games. So an early kickoff this Sunday, London derby, not really a problem for most people to get to, but. Um, yeah, I, I think maybe just a little bit more thinking around that. But again, I like, with I feel like we're going to get early morning kickoffs now. Like you know that Saturday morning breakfast, like yeah. midday because there's always a midday Premier League game on a Saturday. But like not ten a.m. or something crazy like that. Yeah, yeah, and and like the other thing, I, I think like a what would be a brilliant TV solution is if they drop the three p.m. blackout for women's games, yeah. the Saturday three p.m. But that's really difficult because most of the women's grounds they share. So like mm. Arsenal can't really do many Saturday games at Borehamwood. If Borehamwood are at home, then then they can't do Saturday, yeah. um, for example. So that's that's really really difficult as well. Um, it's you know it's it's 
it is an issue and there's never going to be a perfect solution to it but it's one of those don't let um don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good and i'm sure we'll see this tweak around a little bit and this is all stuff like you say pippa sky will be talking about this right now um i guarantee you anyway pippa i'll come on to you we've had we had a few questions around this but um i'm gonna go with two um, one from Connor, who is at Diego Maraconna on Twitter, like that. Love that. Um, and he asks, and and I'm throwing this one to you, Pippa, because I saw you tweet about this as well last week. Oh. Um, what's happening with Jordan at the moment? I watch games and think Jordan could be quite useful here, but she's barely getting any game time. And and kind of on, I guess, a continuation of that question from Laura at Gunners Squad 8, do you think Jordan Nobbs will be more integrated into the team again? So I guess the why is she not playing more and do you think she will play more in the last four games? Connor and Laura, I wish I knew the answer to this question. Like Tim said, I tweeted it myself and I just keep wondering, you know, is this is this um, a way of Arsenal or Jonas slowly fizzling Jordan out? Because I, I feel like I don't, even though there is space for her in that midfield, if we shift players around, like you said earlier, Alex, Viv moving back into a number or something like that, there is room for Jordan with the quality that she has to still play or at least get more minutes than she's being offered. And it kind of just, you know, shows me that she may not be here next season. I don't want to start rumours, but it's, it's like, for someone of that quality, someone of that experience, for someone that's been at the club that long, how can she not be getting any game time? And now that's affecting her uh, uh, minutes for for country, for England as well. Um, and it's a shame to see her career fizzle out like this at a, at a top club such as Arsenal. Um, and I feel like she needs more minutes. But Conor and Laura, I don't have the answer to your question. I wish I knew. I'm asking the same thing. Yeah, I, I don't think she will be more integrated. Like I think a manager tells you everything with how they use a player. And I guess my question has probably gone from will Jordan sign a new contract to will she be offered one? Um, because, I mean, the way, the way she's been used, uh, rightly or wrongly, suggests that the, the manager just doesn't fancy her. And it, it, I, I find that, that whole number 10 spot quite a weird one because he doesn't use mana that much either. And it seems like Viv is the only player he seems to think can play that position the way he wants it. And maybe that's a physicality thing, but I don't think Jordan lacks physicality at all. Um, so, I, you know, I do find it strange. And, and, like, it's hard for her as well, because when you're not playing, you can't then show your best form. So, yeah, when we have seen her recently, we haven't seen the Jordan knobs we all know and love, but that's kind of, I think, a consequence of not playing. So I, unfortunately, I, I don't think she will be more integrated into the team. And I, I do think these will probably be her last games as an Arsenal player, unfortunately, as much as as much as that kind of um, bothers me, I guess. Um, I think that's that's probably what we're looking at. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Alex, one from Dan here, who is at Dan D-O-M-K. Halfway through the season, one of the measure of improvement was our performances and results against the big teams. But is that still the case considering the three big cup ties this season? So twice against Chelsea, one against Wolfsburg, lost all three. Do you still think we can say we've improved in those big games? Off the back, I would say yes. Um, Mainly, I think the Champions League has a big pull on that, even though Admittedly, our Champions League run wasn't really the greatest of all, but we made it to the Champions League quarterfinal at the end of the day, which is a lot better than than we could say in the past few seasons overall. Um, but looking at the cup games, I mean, it is really shitty to just continue to lose to Chelsea in semifinals or just Man City on these kinds of occasions. Because if you look at, I mean, if you look at us compared to Man City, I would say that we have the better squad and the better football, hands down. And I'm not, I'm not just saying that just because I'm obviously an Arsenal fan, but to, to see a team like Man City getting to these finals and getting the success that Arsenal aren't getting is, is really, really bad in, in the sense of perspective. When you look at Man City season, when you look at Arsenal season, I think Arsenal have had the better season overall and have, to not sound mean, we have the better manager who actually knows how to use players and play decent football. Um, but again, I mean, Jonas is still learning and clearly doesn't know how to use a few players. So overall, but it's it's an improvement on some circumstances, but I do think we have sacrificed other things like consistency in the style of football that Arsenal have been playing has shifted a lot this season. Um, Overall improvement, yes. Can it be seen as the opposite? Yes. Um, But I think Arsenal are heading in the right direction. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I I think it's been improvement, um, but improvement from a low bar um, because we weren't winning any of those games really uh, coming into this season. And, and it is kind of odd that we were so good in the league in those games. So we took four points off Chelsea, four points off Man City. I think thoroughly deserved all those four points. I think it could have been six points off Man City. Um, less so Chelsea. I think four points was about right. Both of those games could have gone either way really, but you expect that. It's difficult to explain. I mean, the cup final against Chelsea was, uh, you know, Jonas described that last week as the biggest disappointment of his career. The, and, and the Wolfsburg games as well. Um, you know, uh, I, I do think this most recent Chelsea game, I thought Arsenal were fine until Chelsea scored. And the, for some reason or another, that just really set off a panic. Um, in, in a way we didn't see, we went one goal down against City away and we didn't see that level of panic that we saw against Chelsea. And I, yeah, I don't, I don't really know why that happened. 
Um, but it's 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 a weird one. I, I'd say I'd cautiously say there has been an improvement, but there needs to be another one next season. Um, is how I'd kind of answer that. Um, Pippa, I'm gonna. There's been some heavy questions so far, so I'm gonna go for a slightly lighter one here, and it's from uh, the Manners and the Fafas uh, at Laguna Beach on Twitter. If you had to assemble an LW5 aside team, how would you line them up and why? So, Arsenal's five LWs are Lydia Williams, Lotta Wubben Moy, Leah Volti, Leah Williamson, and Laura Weinreuter. How would you line them up in a five aside team, especially given that well, there's one goalkeeper, so that's kind of answered. And then you've got three defenders and a defensive midfielder. <laughs> oh. This is, uh, I have no idea. Do you know what? I think I might have to, obviously, Lydia Williams in goal. Yeah. Out, out of the three midfielders, I would put, oh, probably Leah Walty up front. Okay. I would keep, well, we know that Le- um, Williamson can play midfield and defence, but she, obviously she's been great in defence, captain of England now. Woo-woo. Um, I would keep her in, oh, let's do one goalkeeper, Two defenders in lots of oh, this is hard. This is so it hard, is, isn't it? <laughs> um, right. Oh, should I put Leo in midfield? Let's put Leo in midfield. Put Lotta and Laura as two defenders, and there you go. Boom! I've got my team. Is that five people? Yep. Lydia, two defenders. Yep. Lotta and Laura. Yep. There you go. Leah Williamson midfield, Leah Volti up front. Yeah. I, I think I'd more or less go with that. I think in five aside, like you need one of your defenders to be like a proper centre back, and that would be yeah. Lotta. And you need one to be a bit more of a full back, maybe. And and that's definitely Laura, a bit nippier. Yeah. Um, and then it's, so then it's just a question of of where you put the Leas. Who <laughs> basically it's a question of who do you think would be better up front, yeah. Leah Williamson or Leah Volti? Well, really, I mean, um, Williamson's been scoring loads of goals. With her head, though, recently. Yeah, yeah. The goals. I, I think I'd narrowly go with Leah Volti just because she's got two good feet. Yeah. And I think in a small space, uh, particularly when you play up front in five-a-side, that's small space. So, um, yeah, I, I'd probably go with her, but not not an obvious striker in that team. That's such a good question. I can't lie. I saw it on Twitter and I was like, LW. I was thinking, left wingers, five-a-side. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it took me a minute to realise. Um, Alex, Here's, here's, here's one that I hadn't really thought about to my shame, I think, but I think is really worth discussing. And it's from Leah Volte's PR team at Sky Blues FC um, on Twitter. What do you think of uh, Jonas not playing Noel Maritz on Sunday? She seemed annoyed at getting sub v Wolfsburg. I thought she was one of our better players. Um, and hasn't played a minute since, worrying to me. So she didn't play against Leicester. Laura Weinreuter played, and Noel didn't get on. And then, of course, we saw Katie McCabe playing at right back against Chelsea on Sunday. Given especially that Noel's contract is up at the end of the season, do you think there's an issue there? And sorry, that's I, for Alex. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, um, it's it's a hard one because it goes back to what we talked about earlier in this episode about Katie McCabe being pushed back into that defensive role rather than being played as a winger. And I I thought that Katie McCabe would have been more efficient as a winger than, say, Nikita Paris, for example, that came on after. But I think 
to say that Kane and McCabe was the better defender to deal with Girl Wright in, I think, is a bit of a far-fetched comment to make by Jonas because I think mm-hmm. Noel Maritz is well capable of it. Um, you know, it's Steph Catley. All all the fullbacks are good enough players to be able to do what Katie McCabe did on Sunday. And the worst part about Katie McCabe playing in that position on Sunday was that she was not involved in the attacking play at all. Yeah, I forgot she was on the pitch half of the time. And one of the biggest reasons why Katie McCabe's name has been roaring in everyone's mouth this season is because of her attacking play, not because of her defensive play, which has always been good. But the reason why she's getting that kind of buzz around her name now is because her assists, her goals, her playing off of Viv, off the midfielders. And to not have that in a game like Sunday, especially after the way the first half went and after the first goal went, when you have a player like Noel Maritz on the bench, you know, to not instill that trust on her, I would imagine hurts her quite a lot. Mm. Um, I think more than Laura, because Laura is again, another, you know, a good fullback, but she is the newer one there. And that's a bit more understandable to leave her on the bench for a game like this, for example. But Noel Maritz, who has been relatively a normal player in this Arsenal backline, to leave her out of it, I think, was I'm not going to fight out say it was a mistake, but I do see how it could be a bit worrying in terms of keeping her for next season, um, because we do know that Arsenal's defensive backline tends to crumble with injuries at one point of the season or another. So to lose a, a quality fullback like that, I think would hurt us in the long run. But it's yeah, again, it's all up. You know, this is Jonas's decision. Maybe there is something else going on in the back, but I do agree that. Perhaps Noel Maritz could have been trusted um, on Sunday and, and could have potentially had Katie McCabe pushed up at one point. But it is what it is, I suppose. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a really good question because I think it is worrying. Um, I, I didn't think anything of Noel not being in the team against Leicester. I just And Laura Weinreuter played. I thought that's fine. That's rotation. Noel played both legs against Wolfsburg. And, you know, we're playing Leicester. We should be able to play our backup right back. Um, like Anna Patton played at right back in the reverse fixture. Um, so I, I didn't think anything of that. But to not play her on Sunday, and for some of the reasons given, um, you know, about like one-on-one defending with Guru Wrighton, earlier in the season when we played Man City, Jonas was at pains to point out how well Noel dealt with Lauren Hemp. Um, and so it does seem a bit, it seems almost a bit pointed for him to say that he felt he favoured Katie's aggression there. Like if I'm Noel, I'm kind of thinking, well, so you don't think I'm aggressive enough? And even the the line about, you know, driving inside on the left foot to get away from, from Guru Wrighton, Noel's got a really good left foot as well. She, in fact, she played most of her football at Wolfsburg at left back. She's very, very two-footed. So, and given that her contract's up at the end of the season, I mean, let's say they're they're negotiating at the moment if i'm her i'm probably looking at thinking do I, do i want to stay here it it does i like i don't know um, i don't have any information on this at all but it does really look like that something's happened there i don't know if it was her reaction to being subbed against wolfsburg i too thought that that was a little bit strange because i thought she was playing really well um one one of the things jonas said when he signed laura as well was that it wasn't just necessarily about 
back up to Noel or even just competition. But he said he felt that Noel suffered because she had to play every minute of every game. And he felt that this would give her the chance to like really, really push on and, and be much more of a wing back than maybe she'd been in the first half of the season. And, and we've seen Laura come on for her quite a lot. And yeah, I, I don't know um, whether something's happened there, but I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I, I think if a player is about to sign a new contract, this isn't necessarily the type of stuff that happens. So I, I think it's a really good question. And it's it's made me think because for some reason, I, I didn't really think of that to that extent. To, and to not even come on against Chelsea when there's five subs permitted. And I think Arsenal only made three. Like that does seem quite pointed, it has to be said. Um, I'll try and find out a bit more about that. But um, Pippa, I'm going to throw this one over to you, which is not so much um, like tactically or, or about the team on the pitch per se, but from um, Gurm Noddle, uh, apologies, I've probably pronounced that wrong, who is at A-K-L-S-G-R-M-N-D-L on Twitter. Do you think it's weird that there's basically no messages of support for the women by the male players on social media? I've almost only seen it the other way around. Yes, I've, I've thought that for, for many years now, only because, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to see certain relationships. Like, I know that certain players from the men's and women's team are friends and have been previous players as well. I've been friends. Some of them have been in rehab together and they've got to know each other. And like, as a friend, would you just not want to support your friend, whether you play for the same club or not? And it's weird to me that other clubs, we see other clubs do it. And I just kind of don't understand what the culture is at the club where some of the, the Arsenal men wouldn't feel like it'll be natural to say, well, congrats, like, congratulations getting to a Champions League quarterfinal or good luck or best of luck or you're at the Emirates, I, I, I might pop down or whatever it is, something, some type of interaction because I'm, we know that they do talk to each other and they do have some type of relationship. They have events together sometimes they're at the training ground at the same time they overlap. They, they know each other. Why would you not show some type of solidarity or support to the team that are doing okay, pretty well in their, in their leagues? Yeah, I have to say I find this one strange as well because it's just free publicity, particularly because the men's players have like their own fan bases in their own right. Like there will be plenty of people who follow Arsenal players who don't like follow the Arsenal account, for example. And I, I do get a bit annoyed when I see like, you know, after we beat after the men beat Wolves. In February, you had like Jen Beattie, Lotta Wubbemoy, Leah Williamson. We know like Leah and Lotta are, are childhood Arsenal fans, but like Jen Beattie sharing it, like sharing, you know, the tweet with the final score on it and saying, oh, you know, goosebumps or whatever. And I just think even if like the the male players haven't actually watched the game or if they don't actually really care, like just having a few of them like sharing like a final score or something like off the the women's Twitter account and saying like congrats or, you know, cut like before the game. I, I don't understand why it doesn't happen. It's just free publicity that like any, it doesn't even have to be them. Whoever manages their social media can do it. Even and, a, simple, a simple retweet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, like, what does that cost, really? Like, I'd love to see much more of that. And even ahead of like the Wolfsburg game, I think we had some tweets like quite late in the day, like Aaron Ramsdale sent one, then Lacazette. I, I think, you know, obviously they, they were told at some point because then you had like a few of them, but there were like a couple of hours before kickoff. It didn't help ticket sales at that point. 
And, you know, when I, I saw like when Manchester United played their game against Everton at Old Trafford, like they got their men's players like sharing, you know, here are tickets and things like that. And yeah, I, I don't know because it's so, it's like free and it will take like whoever manages their social media accounts about five seconds to do. I've honestly suggested it so many times as well to like players, to the club. And I just don't, like, it's not hard. It's not yeah. like, it doesn't affect you in any way whatsoever. Yeah, I, I I find it really weird. I have to say, I don't, you know, it's just it's such a such like a low low resource required for potentially even even if it had low impact, like mm-hmm. that's still worth it. I I don't understand it either. Maybe I'll uh, I'll ask someone. Um, that is, um, sorry, that is one thing I did love about David Luiz though, because even when he was yeah. at Chelsea, he was always at their games. He would tweet, and even when he was at Arsenal, he would show support. Yeah. And you see that now. I know we spoke about Chelsea so much at the top of the show, but like you see that now. Obviously, Reese James has his sister playing for Chelsea, but yeah, yeah. you see the support from the Premier League players, and you see how how much impact it has. One little clip of you just at a game goes viral, and mm-hmm. that's it. All eyes are on that women's football team now, and it's just that simple. Yeah, yeah, like David Luiz went to Chelsea PSG in the Champions yeah. League a couple of years ago and Petr Cech used to do it as well and this mm-hmm. is when you can tell when players do it off their own back and that's great but it doesn't even have to be off their own back. Like it just surely just takes someone from the club to send like, I'm sure like they have like a WhatsApp group or something that's like, hi guys, can you retweet this or can you do, you know, like and and it will take someone 5 seconds so i don't know maybe, maybe i'll ask someone um arsenal about that maybe you know they just have a strategy that, that they don't think that's worth it for reasons that i don't understand because i'm not in that game um really but I, I i kind of agree i do find that that weird and, and and a bit sad um actually i have to say um we'll do two more questions before we duck out and the first one the this one's to you, Alex, and the and the, the last one I think is a bit spicy and I'm gonna ask both of you it. Um but these are these are two questions I'm gonna to put together because they're very similar, Alex. So the first one's from Catherine Cleary at Kate Cleary seven three five. With how good our goal scorers are, why do you think they struggle to score in games against higher level competition? And on that vein as well, Eileen, who is at Eileen EST on Twitter, we haven't scored in three consecutive games against Chelsea, scored once in two games against Wolfsburg from a dead ball situation. What do you think the reason is for our inability to create high quality chances from open play in important games? I really like the bluntness of these questions. (laughs) Um, Basically everything's going fine, but then in front of goal we're shit. Um, No, I, yeah, it's, it's so frustrating to watch. I mean, just looking at Sunday, um, you look at that Stina Blaxenius opportunity when the, she, I think she thought the ball went out and she kind of slowed down and she was literally right in front of goal, had two Arsenal players behind her. She could have either shot or passed it and she went for the crappiest pass you will ever see from a quality striker like that. Um, that could have easily been it. Uh, you look at that Beth Mead chance, I thought, I mean, I think that was mostly unlucky rather than lacking the quality because she took that down really well. Um, and it was just far the post. And... But I do agree that if you look at the chances that Arsenal had versus the chances that Chelsea had, they're completely different. And even if you look at the stats, Chelsea had 13 shots, seven on target. Arsenal had five shots, zero on target. 
and I think that says everything. Arsenal's last ball into the box that's going to create that dangerous attacking play is just simply lacking. If you look at the way Arsenal started the game, we started the game amazingly. I thought the first 10-15 minutes Arsenal were absolutely dominating. Could have potentially had the opening goal considering how much they were playing in Chelsea's half. But then Chelsea had one breakaway and they managed to get, it was a grow right and cross from the left side into the box. And Chelsea's one attacking play, they managed to get the ball into the box, whereas Arsenal were having possession, they were attacking. But their balls into the box was, I don't even know if they got one into the box. So whatever it, it is, they are clearly lacking that final kind of ball. Like in Spanish, it's pase de gol, which just means assist, but it just sounds so much better in Spanish. But it's literally <laughs> like the pass of the goal because mm. that pass is the biggest reason for that goal. Obviously, the quality of the striker and stuff, but Arsenal are lacking that pass. And I don't know if it's just them being conservative or just the them being tired, but without that pass we're never going to score again, basically. Um, and you looked at it, you saw Viv have that one chance where she brought it down on her own, had that shot outside of the box. Grand, but how many times did Viv have that opportunity in a match? It didn't happen again. So I think it's just Arsenal need to work on that final third phase of play. Get used to being more direct with our attack and get used to these players being in the box. Put a ball into the box. You know, we haven't seen that that Leah Williamson long balls in a long time. We haven't seen that very direct style play in quite a while. Once Now that I'm starting to think about it, I'm starting to get sad. But it is, I think it is just that bluntness and the directness and the, it's it's sad because again, Chelsea have that, you know, that directness. They have that Sam Kerr um, kind of aggression to want to score. And I think we're lacking that just a little bit. Yeah, I, I make you right there. I, I think that this is a creativity issue and it comes back to not really being sure about that number 10 spot or what Jonas really wants from it. Um, because even if you look at the games against Manchester United, we played Man U in the Conti Cup, didn't score. Played them in the WSL, did score off the back of one of the best passes I've ever seen from Vivian Miedema to, to Stina. And the Man United away game, it was a Viv long shot and a penalty. Like we, I mean, we did open them up in that game, to be fair, and have some chances, but like they weren't box entry, um, those goals. So th- there is there is like an issue there. And I do just think it comes down to not really being sure what, um, what, what's needed at the moment from that number 10 spot for Jonas. And, and like I say, coming back to him looking like he thinks Viv is the only player that can really play it in the way he wants. And whether that's because he thinks she's got the physicality to press better than than other players. And and I do think that maybe like the, the fluidity in the play we saw under Joe, for example, it giveth and it taketh away. It it used to beat the beat, uh, the smaller teams and there was that real rotation of positions. I don't think we see that as much under Jonas. And I do think that improved structure helps us to kind of compete in these bigger games better, but maybe it, it doesn't help us to score goals. And I think it will be really interesting to see what happens in that 10 spot next season because we don't even know if Viv's going to be here um, and and what he wants from it. And I think that will tell us a lot, um, quite frankly. So I, I think it's more of a creation issue 
than than anything and when you look again like we haven't as we said earlier in the pod we haven't got the best out of Nikita Paris this season who's a finisher um you know Jordan's a goal scorer and we haven't seen the best of her either so that I think there is a bit of a chance creation issue and I'm not quite sure what it is because I'm not quite sure what Jonas really wants from that position as yet but I don't think he's got the players he really wants um, there, which, which which feels quite weird considering we have got quality players for the positions, but uh, maybe not the type that he wants. So, gonna gonna end the podcast on this question, which again I think is a really interesting one, and I think it's really worth discussing. Uh, and I haven't seen it discussed in many other places, but this is from a half a fan at Ludlow Ball, um, and I'll start with you on this, Pippa, and then I'll come to you on it, Alex. When will it not be considered blasphemy to talk about replacing Kim? It's a weird one because she has qualities no other player in the WSL has, but at the same time, I've found her so frustrating in the past two seasons. She'll do a nice spin, but then not pass the ball forwards. Part of that's tactical, but I do think she gets away with a lot because of her legendary status and her tidiness on the ball. I think if we were run like Chelsea, we had assigned her a long-term replacement two seasons ago. Maybe that was Gilles Raud, um, but they're so different. So what what do you make of that one, Pippa? I guess, do you share any of that that frustration? I, I guess with, um, you know, Kim and forward passing, perhaps. And do you think uh, we need to think, of, at least think about like her long-term replacement? I guess I'm kind of on the other side here because I, I really enjoy watching Kim Little play, which is strange because I get so frustrated with certain midfielders in other teams and other games that don't pass forward. But for some reason, she doesn't frustrate me that much. Um, but in terms of a long-term replacement, we should have done that a couple of years ago because she's not getting any younger. Um, and she's been playing football for a very long time. And I know we can't put you know a timeline on when certain footballers should end their career, but it's very natural that most players in the game don't go past 33 on average. I don't know. But I, I, I think it's time that we start looking because we don't know how much more she has in her engine. Um, and the games are getting tougher and the games are getting a lot more physical as we've seen in the, in the competitions that we want to excel in. And I don't know how much longer she'd be able to do that for at the highest level. So we should be looking into her long-term replacement like yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I, I, before I throw it to you, Alex, I'll, I'll put my two pence worth. I do share that frustration a little bit sometimes with the not passing forward thing. And, and it's really like she'll she'll spin past two or three players and you think, yes, that's amazing. And, and the, the person asking the question is right. I don't think anyone, maybe even in women's football altogether, can do that. Maybe, maybe there are some players at Barcelona who can, but there aren't many players who can beat players in small spaces like she can. And then sometimes, but then she'll pass it back to the centre-back and you think, well, there wasn't really much point in beating those three players. Like, I, I've I've copped some flack, um, I think understandably, for saying I don't think she's a final third player anymore because I sense that some of that killer instinct I saw in like a young Kim Little um, isn't quite there. And maybe that's unfair and maybe there are reasons for that. And And by the way, I stress, I'm not saying that she's rubbish or anything close to it. She's clearly not. Um, but I, I do, I do share that frustration sometimes, just with that element of the game, where you think, okay, you've beaten those two players, we've broken the press here. Forward, take it forward into the space. Um, and and when she does that, and she does do it, it, it's I think it's so devastating. 
Um, I, as for her kind of long-term replacement, maybe that's Frieda Marnham, um, because I think, albeit they're slightly different, they do play essentially the same position. Um, I'm not sure in women's football, I believe in the long-term, repl- like buying a young player with with um, a view to grooming them to be a replacement, because I don't think there are enough games in women's football to do that. I think that, uh, and we saw this, I think, a bit towards the end of the Montemoro era where, you know, he brought in some younger players and said, yeah, I want to groom them to be like, you know, the, the spine of the next team. And they were left because they, you know, because you need to play games. And I just don't think there are enough games to go around in women's football to do that, really, um, because young players need to play. So I think when you replace a player, you should just replace them. M- much like we've kind of done at centre-back with Hafaeli and Jen Beatty. Like, we didn't sign, like, a 20-year-old and think, you know, she'll take over. It's like, right, okay, Hafaeli, she's 30, she's coming in now, and she'll play for the next three years uh, type thing. So uh, what about you, Alex? I know, like most people, you're a, you're a big Kim fan. Do you think, first of all, there's any justification in that criticism of her game? And do you think that, um, you know, do, I guess, do you agree with the idea that if this were Chelsea, she might have been replaced by now? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because... Again, looking on Sunday when I thought <clears throat> when Jonas made those substitutions and Leon Valti was the one to come off, I thought Kim Little should have been the one to come off. Um, but again, you know, she is a captain. She is irreplaceable. So it's that kind of, you're not obliged to leave her on, but, you know, the likelihood of her having 90 minutes is quite high. Um, but I do think that she should have been the one to come off um, regardless. But also, I do going back to what you were saying to him about having that long-term replacement of not really grooming a younger player and just getting a replacement off the back. I think Arsenal have the status to be able to do that. Um, whereas Chelsea, <clears throat> we know Chelsea are, are more of like a you know a long-term project that's never going to win a Champions League, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> but Emma Hayes is more focused on kind of the long-term process of getting to. Her, her team, I mean, and she's done it already, you know, the team where they are now, that's been a long-term process of getting these players and molding them to Emma Hayes' system, essentially. <clears throat> but I do agree that there's not enough games in women's football to kind of be able to do that. When you look at the schedule, you know, these cup games, the Champions League games, they're a must-win situation. So you're not going to be able to give these younger players a lot of minutes, which I think it's fine for Arsenal because, again, I think they do have the status to be able to bring in good replacement players without having them for a really long time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but it is, yeah, in terms of the frustration of Kim Little not passing forward, I think that's a frustration that I've had with Arsenal for a really long time. And I don't, I never, I never noticed just Kim Little. I've noticed it as Arsenal as a whole team. Mm. Um. And I don't know if that's just down to the tactical kind of focuses of the managers or if it's just individual decisions, for example. Um, But it has been a frustration that I've had with Arsenal since under Joe. Um, They've opted to play back rather than playing direct. And that goes again to that question about, you know, that attacking creativity that we lack. (laughs) When we get into the right positions, we do the wrong passes in terms of the wrong passes that will not get us that very dangerous attacking pass in the box. Um, 
So for that question, I think it's more of an Arsenal thing than a Kim Little thing. Mm. Um, but I do, yeah, I, I agree that Arsenal have that problem of, of playing backwards rather than forward. But yeah, I think it's, I don't think it's down to Kim Little um, entirely. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually, I think that's a fair pushback on some of the things Chelsea have done with their squad where actually they have bought players for the long term so Jess Carter's a player they bought we didn't see a lot of her now we're seeing a lot of her ditto Neve Charles um, they bought uh, the Dutch defender Anouk Novian same deal they bought her in we didn't really see her for six months now we are and they bought like a Russian left back whose name I forget in January and again we haven't seen her at all but she's another one who will probably pop up next season the goalkeeper Musevich that they bought that's clearly a long term but I, I guess they're doing that within a slightly more settled framework of um, of senior professionals so so maybe it is possible um, but I, I don't know I tend to think for a really pivotal position you kind of just go for it like we did with Hafaeli, um, for example and a little bit like Stina um, as well because if like Viv goes that's kind of her replacement done so it's, it's it's a really interesting question and i know um i know there'll be people shouting into their phones like how can you say this about kim little and, and i get that and but i i do think um i i do I, I do share that frustration sometimes um and and yeah of course like she's got such a big reputation that that maybe it's difficult to talk about that sometimes but i i thought that was a really interesting question um to end on and, and i think again i should stress that like no one's like caning Kim here because I think we all recognise what a great player she is uh, and how important she is and you can see that in the minutes that she plays but for me sometimes it's just that one element amongst all the other good stuff that she does that 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 yeah um, frustrates but maybe there's a good reason for it and I'm not a professional footballer and therefore I, I, I'm not kind of schooled enough to see it but um, there we go those are we had loads more questions and sorry we couldn't fit all of them in um, but we, you know, we had some some fairly meaty ones to deal with there to take us over the hour mark. So we'll wrap it up there. Um, thanks again to uh, my co-hosts, Alex. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It was it wasn't it was quite pleasant considering what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and Pippa, thanks for joining us for this group therapy session. <laughs> I literally felt like therapy. Always a pleasure. And we'll be back with another mailbag probably just after the season ends, I think, in about, uh, yeah, because that's only in a few weeks' time. So we'll we'll kind of do a season review, working on um, a special guest to join us for that as well. Um, so until then, thanks so much for listening, to for downloading, for all of your questions, and we'll speak to you again in a couple of weeks. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.